sometimes sing. Listen to what the hymn says. It says, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press, the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches until it nearly breaks. Is it aught to Him does He see? Now I feel pretty confident in saying that there have been times in all of our lives where this song expressed the concern of our hearts. Chances are we've all experienced pain so deep that we wondered if Jesus heard our prayers and if He cared about what was going on in our lives. Listen to the chorus of that same old hymn. Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. How can we know for sure that He really cares and that He really hears and that it's really important or or something that He is concerned about at all, what's going on in our lives? Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from the book of Exodus that will help us to see that our Savior does indeed care. Open your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. It's page 45 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the first ten verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the desert and came to Horeb, the mount of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon the face or look upon God. And the Lord said to him, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of, out of, the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The title of the message this morning is, The God Who Cares. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today, and God, you are great and awesome, and you are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We gather today with a desire to to know you better, to grow closer to you. And Lord, we do. We've gone through times where we wondered where you were. We've gone through times where it seemed like our prayers were unheard, that you you were not aware of what was going on in our lives. And God, I, I think that we need to know. That you're here. We need to know that you hear, that you care, that you see. Lord, I do believe that your people, we can endure anything this whole world throws at us as long as we know that our God is near, that our God cares, and that he is with us in this time. And as we look at this passage today, let your Holy Spirit come and take the the point of this story and, and drive it home into our hearts to strengthen our faith, to encourage us in your care and your concern for us. Let your Holy Spirit open our hearts to, re, to receive this message. And, and so when the hard times come into our lives and the devil tries to tempt us and tell us that you've abandoned us, that you don't care, that we would know. We would know that our Savior cares. We would know that you're involved and you're actively at work in what's going on and that you have not abandoned us. Father, today I ask you to send your Holy Spirit to, to give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways. Lord, it's not me that we need to hear today, but you. And so just let me be a vessel that you would use to 
to encourage your people, to strengthen them, to, to point them to you and to strengthen our faith. Father, let your Holy Spirit work in each of our hearts and lives and, and just do a work in our hearts that needs to be done. Father, if we need to be saved, save us. If we need to be re- restored, restore us. If we need to be encouraged, encourage us. If we need to be strengthened, strengthen us. If we need to be revived, revive us, Father. Be glorified in all that happens, how we take this and what we do with it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Where we are in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh has, children of Israel have been in Egypt for about 400 years. They've grown to the point that Pharaoh is concerned that they will try to take over or turn on them. So he, he comes up with a plan. To stop them from growing. First, he, he makes them slaves in the land and makes the taskmasters oppress them hard. But the harder they oppress them, the more the Israelites grow. And so that plan was a failure. So he comes up with another one and he says that what he'll do is he'll have the midwives kill all the newborn babies, the boys especially. Uh, and the midwives feared the Lord and they would not do it. And so that plan failed. So at this point, Pharaoh has to just come out and be more overt in what he's doing. And he determines that all of the newborn boys should be thrown into the Nile. Of course, the reason for this is that without Israelite men, the women would have to marry Israel, uh, Egyptians and they would become Egyptians. He was going to, to make it so that there were no Israelites left in the land, only Egyptians. And there was obviously some measure of success with this as some of the boys were tossed into the Nile and, and apparently fed to the, the animals that were there. But despite what Pharaoh tried to do, God was at work and God was greater than Pharaoh. And he ensured that a young boy named Moses survived. And he not only ensured that the young boy Moses survived, he ensured that Moses was in fact brought up in Pharaoh's home as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, Moses lived 40 years as an Egyptian, uh, living and being trained by the Egyptians. And then one day he went out to see the Israelites and he saw one Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. And so he took it upon himself to stop it and he killed him and he buried the body. Um, The book of Acts tells us that Moses understood that he was to be the deliverer over Israel at this time. And he assumed the people would recognize that's what he was as well. But later he goes back out and he finds two Israelites fighting with one another, one oppressing the other. And he he calls them on it. And the one that was in the wrong said, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses now realizes that what he has done has come out. Pharaoh will probably kill him. And he flees into the wilderness and he stays there for about 40 years. When he gets into the wilderness, he he meets a guy. He meets a man who has daughters. He falls in love with one of the daughters. He marries her and he has kids for the next 40 years. Moses spends his life as a shepherd taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Now, where we're picking up at today, Moses is around 80 years old and God is about to make a drastic change in his life. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of the fact that Moses was 80 at this point, but but I do want to point out that we often say, well, you know, when I get to a certain age, I can retire and I don't have to serve and be active involved in serving the Lord. I've done my time. But here we see a man that was 80. When most people in our day are going off to retirement and playing golf and sailing around the world and doing nothing else but taking it easy, he is being called into a life of service, being called at that point to go and to do for the Lord. But I won't get into that today. Now, in the first six verses, we're familiar with Moses seeing the burning bush. He sees the bush. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. He goes to see what it is, and then God speaks to him out of The bush Uh, at this point, God begins to tell him who he is in verse six. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, keep in mind that Moses was weaned by his own mother. And so he knew he was an Israelite. He, He seems from what we can tell, he always knew he was an Israelite. He always knew the the religion and the God of his fathers. So this is a big deal to him. He knows who it is that he's meeting at this point. And so Moses, as most people were when they saw God, they were afraid. They were afraid to look at that because of the greatness and the awesomeness of God. But then God tells him what's going on. He says, I've seen the oppression. I've heard their cry. I know their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them. All in all, that's great news. That's exactly what Moses wants to hear. 
Verse 10, God says, but I'm going to send you to go back to Pharaoh and to deliver them out of slavery. It's a huge mission that God has given to Moses. The main thing I want us to see right now, though, we'll talk about God, God's calling to Moses more specifically next week. But this week, I want you to see what God said in verses 7 through 10. Right? Well, I'll tell you what, jump back to chapter 2 and verse 23. Happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning. Remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. Right. Here they are. They've been in bondage for quite a while. They've been in Egypt for around 400 years. Been in bondage for quite a bit of time. It has, over time grown to the point that they can't take it anymore, and so they, they cry out to God. And at that point, God talks to Moses and says, I have seen their oppression, I've heard their cry, I know their sorrows, I've come down to deliver them, and I am going to send you. When we look at all of this, what we see is that God, He did hear their cries. He did care about what was going on in their life, and He was going to do something about it. And I, I think we can all relate to how the Israelites felt. When we've obviously never been in bondage of slavery. We've certainly felt oppressed. We've certainly felt overwhelmed. We've certainly cried out under something that we knew that only God could deliver us from. And we wondered, did he care? Did he hear? Did he see? What we learned from the Israelites is that God indeed did see. That God did care. And so the main idea for the message today is this. God hears and cares about our desperate cries for help. <clears throat> God hears and cares about our desperate cries for help. Now God's care for the Israelites is described in, in three ways in this passage. So number one, God sees our problems. God sees our problems. Now, one of the things that stands out to me in this passage that I think is, I think is significant that we need to understand. The Israelites had done nothing wrong. I mean, you think about it. It was God. We saw last week. It was God who told Abraham his descendants would go into another land to live. So God always intended to send his people to Egypt. God sent Joseph to Egypt to prepare the way for Israel to come into that land. The Israelites, then Jacob and his family, they just did what God wanted done. And in the midst of doing exactly what God wanted done, they found themselves in the midst of probably the worst time they'd ever experienced in their lives. They became slaves. Right? Their, their freedom was taken away. They were the hard labor, besides the hard work, I mean, I think we're supposed to get from the way they were treated was not just that there was hard work to do, but that they were mistreated badly. I mean, to the point that Pharaoh was tossing their kids in the Nile, taking them at birth and chunking newborns in the water to let them die. Can you imagine how that must have felt? And, and, and common teaching of our day says that really the only time we have problems is when we're out of the will of God. But the only time something really drastic like this would happen is because there's a secret sin in our lives. Or, or we're not, we don't have enough faith, or we're not given enough money, or we're not doing this, or we're just not where God wants us to be. And yet we see here that they were exactly where God wanted them to be. They were doing exactly what God planned for them to do. And yet they were still suffering greatly. Now this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but it's not that big of one. It's important that you understand Problems, trials, and hardships will come into your life. Right? And they will come into your life even if you're in the center of God's will. Even if you are doing exactly what God wants it done, when He wants it done, and the way He wants it done, you may still find yourself in the midst of a trial, a trouble, or a hardship. And I know most of what's on TV as far as preaching goes says something different. Most of the books that are out tell us that if we just have enough faith and profess a certain thing and pray a right prayer, everything will always come up roses for us. The Bible teaches something far different. The Bible teaches 
that we can indeed do God's will as He wants it done and end up in hardships and trials. And I want you to understand that as we go into this. I want you to understand that in your life because chances are you are either in a trial, a hardship, or a problem in your life right now. And as you look at your life, you think, I, I, I can't see where I've been disobedient. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not, I'm not living in sin. I'm not rebelling against God to the best of my knowledge. I'm, I'm doing what God wants done. And you're, you're really beat down. You just keep thinking that obviously there's something wrong with you that the reason this is happening. What I want to encourage you is don't believe it. The problem may be because you're doing exactly what God wants done. I mean, do you think that the devil wants the people of God to do the will of God? Of course not. He may very well be pressing in on you because you're trying to do God's will. He may very well be pushing down on you because you're trying to do exactly what God wants done the way He wants it done. There may also be some in here... And you went through a massively rough time in your life. Something tragic and terrible beyond your abilities happened. And all you thought about was that it must have been your fault. It must have been something you did. You must not have had enough faith. You must not have, have done the right things. And therefore, this tragedy came into your life. Don't believe it. That is a lie. That, that is not in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, we find people doing God's will, doing it in God's ways, and suffering for it. I mean, think about the passage I read at the start of the service. Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and to go to the other side. And in the midst of going to the other side, what happens? A storm comes up that is so great that they are afraid. Now, keep in mind, right, these guys are professional fishermen. This is what they do. They know about the storms on the lakes in Judea. They know how to deal with it. And yet this storm is so great, they are afraid for their very lives. The picture is that they are about to be capsized and die. That's what they're afraid of. And that storm, that problem happened exactly when they did what Jesus wanted done. Do not believe the lie that there's only problems when you're out of God's will. You can do what God wants done and still have bad things come into your life. That's just the way it is. Now, in these times, these are confusing times though. I mean, think about the Israelites. They understood themselves to be the people of God. Right? Not the people of a God. The people of the one true God. The God who had gave a promise to their ancestor Abraham. And they had done what, I mean, they understood that God sent them to Egypt. They understood that God had sent them there to prepare them. And yet now they're suffering. I think, I think they were confused. I can imagine them going, what in the world is going on? I can imagine the same thing with the disciples. Why did Jesus send us out on the lake when a storm was coming? And they cried out to the Lord. And, and listen, they started crying out when Moses fled. It's 40 years later. For 40 years, they've been crying out for God to help. For no telling how long, the disciples cried out for Jesus to help. And through it all, I'm sure they wondered if he was aware of what was going on. Right? Don't you think that the people of the God would wonder? Surely, surely God wouldn't allow pagans to do this to his people if he saw what was going on. Now, surely the disciples must have thought that surely Jesus does, isn't aware of the troubles we're having. We're going to die and he's not even going to know what happened to us. Of course, in that passage in Mark, it says that Jesus saw them. Right? While they couldn't see him. He always saw them. We see the same thing here in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are out, who are in Egypt. God was fully aware 
of what was going on. God was just, he had seen everything that was happening. He was aware of their suffering and despite how it must have felt to them, he was actively at work trying to bring them out. Some believer, there is no hardship, no trial, no problem that you will go through that Jesus is not fully aware of what you're experiencing. You may not always be able to see him, but you've got to trust in the fact that he can always see you. Let me read you something. Now, later, when you get home, read Psalm 37. I'm going to read some of or Psalm 34. I'm going to read some of it today just to give you a picture of how great it is and how how we see that Jesus is always aware. The Bible says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many, listen, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He guards his bones. Not one of them is broken. So understand, God sees What's going on in your life? You, you may feel alone. And I dare say there will often be times where we feel alone. But what it seems like is not always the reality. Our God has never left us. He's never abandoned us. He is there. You may feel alone, but as a child of God, you are not. You may not be able to see Jesus, but rest assured, He can see you. He cares about your desperate cry for help. Trust these precious promises from God's Word. So first, we see that God sees our problems. Secondly, God hears our prayers. I mean, have you ever gone through a hard time or a trial where you, you did cry out desperately for God. It just seemed like he was asleep or busy or unconcerned. It didn't feel like your prayers were going any higher than the ceiling. You might have well been talking to your couch for all the good it seemed your prayers were doing. And if you have, then you know how the Israelites must have felt. As I mentioned, it talks about them, the first mention of them crying out to God for help is just after Moses flees, God's first work to bring a deliverer is 40 years later. I mean, I know how it is to cry out for weeks and not see an answer and wonder, man, what is going on? Can you imagine for 40 years? I mean, people lived and died. Crying out to the Lord and, and never seeing God do anything. There, without there being any noticeable difference. It, it never let up. In fact, it, it just seems to have gotten worse. God didn't seem to hear and He didn't seem to care. But again, things are not always as they seem. We see in verse 7 that God heard their cry because of their taskmasters and he he knew their sorrow but God heard their cries and I like that it specifically tells us that he heard their cries because of their taskmaster right the idea we need to see from this is that they were crying out specifically about their problems and God heard those specific prayers but it wasn't that God just heard a general prayer come up from the people. He heard their specific cries about the problems they were having, about the, the issues going on in their lives. And, and not only did he hear their cries, but he, he knew their sorrows. He was well aware of what was going on. Listen, make no mistake that what was true of God then is true of God today. But God 
hears you when you cry out because of your trouble. He knows what you're going through. He cares about your sorrow. Be assured that He hears when we call on Him. Cast our cares upon Him and, and ask Him to help. Now let me show you one of my very favorite passages in the Bible that talks about this. Turn to Psalm 18 and verse 4. It's page 420. And I love this passage because of the way David seems to feel. Look at what he says in verse 4. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. I mean, that's just a bad day. I mean, if that's how you're describing your life at the time, that, that is a bad time. Can't you... I mean, don't you sense a, a, a desperation in the way David describes his problem? He says in verse 6, But in my distress I, I called upon the Lord, I cried out to my God, and He heard me from His holy temple, and my cry came before Him, even to His ears. And what I want to show you in this is not just that God heard and cared, but that the way David felt... As he was going through this time. And the, the feelings he had that caused him to cry out. And I want you to see if you can relate to this. Right? Have you ever cried out to God when you were feeling helpless? Right? He talks about in verse 4, the, the pangs of death surrounded me. Right? This sort of picture someone who has been tied up and is being dragged. He had been entangled by ropes and, and was unable to get free on his own. He was helplessly at the mercy of wicked men who sought to kill him. At this point, David was certain that they would kill him if God did not intervene. There is a, a definite picture of helplessness and hopelessness. But have you ever felt that way in your life? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were totally helpless to, to fix it or to do anything about what was going on on your own? A time when you were so entangled by the problem that the more you wrestled against it, the bigger the mess you made. And it felt like the, the more you tried to overcome it, the more wrapped up in it you got. I mean, it may have been the, the death or the sickness of a loved one. It may have been that you uh, the loss of a job, a, a spouse abandoning you, the, the death of a loved one, watching a child make terrible choices. But there could be any number of circumstances that come into our lives that cause us to feel helpless. And the natural thing to do is that we cry out to God in those times. And it's great and important that we know that He hears us. And He cares about our desperate cries for help. David also cried out to God when he was feeling terrified says in the last part of verse 4 that the, the floods of ungodliness made him afraid. Now, the ungodliness here isn't just a, a general ungodliness, but, but specific people that were attacking him. Right? And I think we should probably picture large numbers of people specifically out to get David. And the sheer number of them was such that it caused David to be afraid. I mean... To me, I'm always amazed when we see David being afraid. I mean, this is the same guy that stood before Goliath with a slingshot and said, oh, God will take care of it. I mean, it, it must have been bad to cause this one who slayed Goliath to feel such fear. But have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt terrified? Times of your life where you were just overwhelmed with fear. It could have been... The time where you were starting a new job could have been that you were terrified of moving to a new community, that you were terrified to talk to someone about Christ. It may have been a situation where you were feared for your very life. But whatever was going on, you did feel terrified. So when we feel terrified, we have to know that God hears and cares about our desperate cries for help. The next time David cried out to God is when he felt discouraged. Verse 5, it says, The sorrows of Sheol 
surrounded me. Now, strangely enough, the word sorrows is the same word used for pangs in verse 4. And it's translated at times as cords. So, again, it's the same idea of being tied up. But the picture is different because he referred to the cords of Sheol or the place of the dead. And one of my commentaries said that this most likely referred to the ropes that were tied around the body to lower them into the grave. Uh, And what this makes me think of is that he felt that the ropes were coming out of the grave and trying to pull him down into it. He felt that he was as good as dead and being drugged to the grave. Now, what's interesting is that he was surrounded by these cords, right? There's no way around, no matter where he looked. From every direction, he saw opposition and those who were seeking his destruction. He saw no help and no escape. He was overwhelmed and on the verge of collapse from it. He was discouraged. One of my commentaries said that from all sides, the hounds of hell barked furiously. A cordon of devils hemmed and hunted man, hunted the man of God. Every way of escape was closed in. Satan knows how to blockade our coast with the iron warships. Sorrow. Have you ever felt like the hounds of hell were barking at you from every side? Have you ever felt that just it didn't matter? It didn't matter what you did. It didn't matter how hard you tried. It didn't matter if you tried to do good or if you just gave up and did what you wanted. It didn't matter if you tried to be nice or you tried to be helpful or you tried to work hard. That no matter what you did, it just was a blooming failure. You were just discouraged and wondered, what is the point? And in those times, it's natural and right for us to call upon the Lord. And in these times, it is so critical that we understand that He hears and He cares about our desperate cries for help. And then the last one is feeling trapped. It says the last of verse 5 that the snares of death confronted Him. And I think it just pictures traps that His enemies set in hopes that He would fall into them being destroyed. And it's, it's like being in a place where you don't know where to step. Being in an unmarked minefield. You don't know if every step is a safe step or if that's going to be the one that blows your legs off. That there are just enemies always out to get you. Trapped. And I think, again, this is probably something we can all relate to one way or another. Sometimes we feel trapped by the circumstances of life. Sometimes we feel trapped in a relationship that's far from what it needs to be. Sometimes we feel ourselves trapped in sin. Sometimes we're trapped by our own bad decisions. Sometimes we feel trapped in a life of, with no meaning or purpose. Or we feel trapped by opposition that seems to be everywhere we look. And in those times, we rightly call out to God. And it's critical that we understand that He hears And he cares about our desperate cries for help. I love verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him. There's a couple of things quickly I want to point out about this before we move on. One is that the prayer pictured here isn't necessarily a God, I have a problem, fix this, amen type of prayer. The picture is David passionately, fervently pouring his heart out to the Lord. Taking the time necessary to lay it all out and to say, God, here's everything that's going on. Here's all the problems and the way I feel. Man, it's bad. And in this prayer, he said that God hears him. I think it is incredibly awesome to know that God hears our prayers. That our desperate cries for help do not go unnoticed by our God. But I mean, you think about it. This is the, the sovereign God the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things. The Bible says that at this moment, Angels are worshiping Him. The saints are praising Him. And in the midst of all of that, 
When even one of his children cries out, God hears. And the picture is that it goes up into his temple. Right? I mean, it, it finds him. It, it goes to where he's at. I mean, it's almost in other places the picture that God bends down his ear to listen. Right? I mean, all of this other stuff is going on. And all of these others are praising his name. But when we cry out in our desperation, it's as if God says, shh, shh, listen. He listens and he cares about what is going on in our life. Listen, and I know, and that's not new. I bet we've heard that hundreds of times. And because it is so familiar, we have to be careful not to let it lose its wonder. Not to say, oh yeah, God, here's my prayers. And not to feel the encouragement that should come from that. The the hope. That that should give us. I mean, think about it. Think about the greatness of the fact that the almighty God of the universe invites us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And when we cast those cares on him, he hears and he cares about those desperate cries for help. And it may not seem like it right away. And I'm not promising that we're going to pray and God's going to fix it like that. Because that's not the way it always works. But even when it takes a long time. And even when it seems to get harder after we pray. Trust the Bible. That God hears and cares about our desperate cries. For help. Go ahead and turn back to Exodus 3. So God sees our problems, God hears our prayers, and then lastly, God sends help. Not only did God see their problems and hear their prayers, God was going to deliver them from their oppression. Take them to the land that he had promised to give to Abraham. God was not passive. God was active. God was involved in what was going on. Look at what he says in verse 8. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them into a land of a, a land to a out of. Let me start over. So I have come down. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land. To a land flowing with milk and honey and the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, get what God's saying here. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do something and bring them out of Egypt. And then I'm going to take them into a land that I promised to give to Abraham. And then I will give them victory over the people that already live there so that it can be their land. I am going to do all of these things. Right? It, was, it was going to be God. In the end, when it all happened, the people would have to say, this is God. It was God who saw our affliction. It was God who heard our prayers. It was God who delivered us out of Egypt. It was God who led us to the promised land. It was God. But notice what God says in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. God was going to do it, but he was going to do it through Moses. God was going to deliver them. God was going to protect them. God was going to give them victory, but he was going to do it through The man that he had chosen. Moses was chosen by God to be the voice of God before Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Moses was chosen by God to be the instrument that God would work through to bring the plagues on the land to show his greatness and his power and his rule over the universe. God certainly was going to be the one that did it, but he was going to do it through a human vessel. And there's... One thing we've got to see about this. God certainly works in our world. God certainly hears. 
or sees the problems that people have. God certainly cares about what's going on. He hears their prayers and he intends to do something about it. But he intends to do it through those that he sends. He intends to do it through us. See, the thing is, it's not that, that God uses us to work in the world because he needs us. Because he doesn't. God is great and awesome and can do anything he wants to do. And he certainly does not need the help of flawed, finite people. But God invites us to join him. To be a part of what he's doing in the world. He invites us to be a part of something that's far larger than, than anything else in the world. Far larger than a political campaign. Far larger than, than any, any nation or any tribe or any people. He invites us to join Him, the great and the awesome God of the universe, as He works to deliver and to help and to do great and awesome things in the world. God calls all of us to join Him and to be His instruments to go out and help others. Let me show you a couple things. This is, I thought was really pretty neat. All believers, all of us are sent into the world. Right When Jesus sent out the, the twelve, he sent them this. He said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now this was going to be their first solo mission. He wasn't going to be there to say, go there and help them, go here and do that. They were to go to see the needs and meet the needs. Right? This was their mission and they were sent to go. And we are sent just as much as they were. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that as I was sent of the Father, so I send you into the world. We're told to go into all the world. We are called the ambassadors of Christ. We are all sent to go out. Now, probably we're not going to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. But just because we can't do those things, that doesn't mean we can't do something. We may not be able to do exactly what the apostles did, but we can do something. We can see the hurts and we can try to help in those times of need. We are sent and we must go and do what we can to help. Now there are all kinds of places that talk about this, but there are three specific groups of people we're sent to. First, we're sent to the hopeless. Look at how the Bible describes those who are apart from Jesus Christ. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. Every person that has not repented of their sins and believed the gospel is perishing. They are blinded by the devil and they are headed for a Christless eternity. And when I say they're hopeless, I doesn't mean that they can't change. What I mean is there is no eternal hope for them but judgment and condemnation. So what has to happen? Well, God has to save them. Well, how is God going to do it? Well, look at this. The next verse. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in, the hearts, in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? So what is, the, what is the cure for those that are blinded to the gospel and are perishing? It's that we tell them about Jesus. Right? That we verbally share the gospel. That we actually open our mouths and tell them about the hope that we have. And as we share the gospel verbally, God works through that to open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then when they believe, He saves them. Now, it is certainly God who opens their eyes. And it is certainly God who saves the sinner. But he does not do this independently of you and I telling them about Jesus. We are sent to help the hopeless and tell them the good news, the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. But we are also sent to help the hurting. People all around us are suffering. Hurting from all kinds of things. They have emotional hurts, physical hurts, and spiritual hurts. And God cares as much about them as He does about anyone else. And He wants to help them. But look at what what the Bible says about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Right. So here is God, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation. But notice the next part. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we, with which we have received ourselves, with which we ourselves are comforted by. Right? So, God comforts us in our time of trouble. Why? So that when we see somebody else going through a time of trouble, we can give them the comfort. So God is the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort, and He certainly comforts us in all of our troubles. But one of the primary ways that God comforts people is through people. He comforts us through others who will lay aside their time to come and share with us. Who will give and help us and be there for us and be a shoulder to cry on and do what they can to help us. God certainly comforts, but we, He comforts through us. We are sent to help the hurting. And we must go and do this. But we're also sent to help the helpless. My society is filled with people that, that they just can't overcome. They can't fix their problems. Whether it's they have no ability, or they have no money, they have no power, or they have no social or economic standing to be able to, they are helpless to stop what is going on. The Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless and the defender of the helpless. Because of that, look at what he tells us. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. I mean, when we see someone being oppressed or someone suffering, and we say someone ought to help them, shame on us. We ought to help them. We're given the task to defend the helpless. To help them in their time of need. To be there for them. To stand for them when they can't stand for themselves. This is what God cares about them and He expects us to care about them as well. We are to help the helpless. I mean, there are any number of ways that this could stand up or this we could see this. But if we see a need, we need to do something to meet that need. Again, it is is shameful when believers say someone ought to do something. No, you ought to do something. I ought to do something. I mean, if God reveals a need to us, He is not revealing that need so that we can go, poor them. He is revealing that need so that either we can do what we can to meet that need or we will organize others to meet that need. So there is no nebulous entity called the church that is to go out and help. We, as individuals, are the church. And we are to be the ones to meet that need. And we can't wait on others to see it and say, let's take off. If you see it, Do something. God sends help to those in need. And He sends it through people. Through you. Through me. And we must be willing to go. We we, we must do what we're supposed to do in this. Much more could be said and many more examples could be shown. This is enough to give us the idea that as believers, we are sent to the world to help people. The hopeless need the gospel. The hurting need comfort. The helpless need defending. God sees their needs. God hears their cries. And God has sent us to help them. 
There are people all around us that need God's help and we are to be His instrument to take it to them. And while I believe as Christians we are sent to all the world, there is a sense in which our primary commitment is to be to one another as believers. It's one reason I believe so strongly in the local church. One reason I believe that every Christian needs to be actively involved in the local church. When we're involved together, it builds a sense of community that we we see the needs and we can help each other out during these times. You need the church because there are going to be times where people need help that only you can provide. The church, or you need the church because there's going to be times in your life where you have needs that people in the church can meet. The church needs you because there's going to be times where people have needs that only you can meet. We we need each other. And we always will. But we need to be there for one another. To help one another. To see the needs. And to do what we can to meet the needs. So what is it we need to do with the message this morning? Maybe you're going through a hard time and what you need is for someone to help you in a way that shows you God sees and cares about your problem. Maybe you're here today and you know someone that's going through a hard time or a spiritual battle and what you need to do is go to them and help them in this time of need. You've said to yourself that if they asked for help, you'd give it, but today what you need to do is to be proactive. Go to them and ask them what you can do to help. We need to be faithful to Scripture. Respond to God's Word. To be His hands, His feet, to one another, to a lost and a dying world. Because God sees and God cares about all the problems going on in the world around us. Let's all stand as our musicians come forward.